Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From Equity Mates Media, this is The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. The football, or soccer, World Cup has kicked off in Qatar overnight. The World Cup has officially kicked off in Qatar with a spectacular opening ceremony and star performance. For the next two weeks, the world's attention will be trained on the football fields of Qatar as the world's best players compete for the ultimate national prize, winning a World Cup. For France, and possibly now the world! But equal to the attention focused on the pitch is the climate around it. There's been a lot of media commentary at Qatar's human rights record, at the migrant labour used to build these new football stadiums, and how they ultimately won the right to host the World Cup in the first place. In today's episode of The Dive, we speak to one of Australia's highest profile football commentators, Ed Cavalli, one third of the trio, Santo, Sam and Ed. But before then, I'm joined by my colleague here at Equity Mates. It's Alec Renahan, who's going to help set the context for this World Cup. Alec, welcome to The Dive. Hey, Sasha. Good to be here. Very good to have you because I've got to admit... I know about the World Cup happening, but I'm not a football fan myself. So let's start with the very basics. What is the World Cup? Yeah, so the World Cup is, I guess, the ultimate prize in national competitions. You might argue that winning a trophy for your club is bigger, but when you're representing your country, you want to win a World Cup. And if you want to be known as the greatest player of all time, as some of the players competing in this World Cup want to be known, they really need a World Cup on their CV. France! the champions of the world. Yeah, they want that image of them holding what I'm imagining a giant trophy standing there in front of thousands of adoring fans. Yes, yeah, so it's big. Uh, the way it actually works, we've got 32 teams competing. There were World Cup qualifiers and the rest of the world have been knocked out. The 32 final teams left standing. For the next two weeks, we're going to watch them compete in eight groups mm-hmm. and then we're going to see them go to a knockout stage. Ultimately... We're going to have one winner. And the World Cup's held every four years. Okay, so there's lots of conversation about the fact that the World Cup is being held in Qatar. How did that decision come about? How do we decide where it's held? So this is really where the controversy began, right at the very beginning when they were awarded the World Cup. And how a World Cup location is decided is by a vote by key FIFA members who ultimately have a complete discretion as a group on where a World Cup is held country's bid and they vote on the winner now think of it like the olympics the international olympic committee decides where an olympics is held in the same way fifa decides where a world cup is held except unlike the international olympic committee there's a lot more corruption well a lot more alleged corruption when it comes to fifa's process but we'll let ed explain all of that okay i'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about that Last question before we kick off the interview. Why is this a business story? Because it just seems like an excuse to talk about sport. Yeah, it does feel like we're shoehorning a topic that we're interested in, doesn't it? Uh, No, there is a really interesting business story here. So for context, hosting a World Cup is expensive. 
In 2014, Brazil hosted the World Cup. They spent about 15 billion US dollars. In 2018, Russia hosted the World Cup. They spent about 14 billion US dollars. So that's sort of the ballpark to host a World Cup. In 2022, Qatar is estimated to spend 220 billion US dollars to host the World Cup, almost 15 times more than the previous two World Cup hosts. And that got us thinking here at the dive why? How can you justify such a big increase in spend? Is there a return on investment? Is this all about nation building or sports washing, which we will get into in this interview? But ultimately, we wanted to know why. And we turn to Ed Cavalli, who knows a lot more about football, to help us understand. And for context, when you're listening to this, this interview was recorded last Thursday, the 17th of November. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get into it. Messi. Away from Boateng. Look at the space here for Levetsi. Levetsi. Higuain! Flags up! Flags up! Ed Cavalli, thanks for joining me. Yeah, great to be here, bro. But listen, man, this 15-minute limit, it's just not going to... It's just, We're just not going to make that. We're just... <laughs> we're just it's just not going to happen. We need extra time. We need injury time. This this is the biggest business slash sporting event in the world. It needs it needs because there's a lot to there's a you sent me questions. Yep. And oh man, we got we got answers. We got answers. Okay. All right. Well, look if you if you can give us answers, we'll give you extra time. That's <laughs> that's the deal. <laughs> but look, let's let's start here and we'll see where it goes. Qatar are reportedly spending 220 billion US dollars on this World Cup compared to 16 billion from Russia in 2018, 20 billion from Brazil in 2014. We want to start here. We are a business podcast and we couldn't really get our heads around the business rationale for a 10x increase in spending. So why spend so much? So uh, that's probably conservative as well. So that's probably a conservative estimate. So for them, it's about, and they've said this a number of times, it's about nation building. We're going to probably get onto sports washing later. I am less concerned about that. So the key moment, one of the key moments is to go back to 2005 when they opened the Inspire Academy, which quote from their website, so I'm sure I'm being tracked, has ambitious target by 2020, two years ago, need to update the website, to be recognized as the world's leading sports academy development of youth athletes. Opened in 2005, and guess who they had at the opening? It wasn't like, you know, two people from Love Island. They had Pele and Maradona. Those were the two people who opened this thing. So the eyebrows that you're raising, those are the eyebrows that they want to keep raised up. Now, we're going to get to this and why it's important, because here's a quiz question. Who is the current global head of the Inspire Academy sports division? Because there's other divisions, but who is the sports head? Well, Ed, I, you're not the only one that's done their research. And by research, I mean spoken to you beforehand. I believe it's Tim Cahill. Oh, isn't that interesting? So that plays a part to what we're going to get to when it's tinfoil hat time. But there he is, Mr. Tim Cahill. And God bless him, as he said himself, a kid who left school at 16 from Western Sydney, now running this multi-billion dollar sports inspire academy. So that's partly why they're spending that money. But... Another part of why they're spending that money, as we know, is that it's all these Gulf countries not wanting to have to rely on fossil fuels when the Guardian finally cancels them. And then secondly, but they also need quite literally other things to do, which they've said. They want this to be the place. So they've got like this, quote, global scouting network that they keep speaking about. So, you know, Tim Cahill will mention in interviews that no, uh, that the, the Qatari javelin throwers have never been better. Well, who gives a shit? But the point is, it's just to be able to continuously bombard the world with press releases 
about progress and positivity coming out of Qatar. And sport's the easiest way to do it because it's the easiest thing to quantify. Yeah, and I think that that gets into this idea of sports washing. I guess we are hearing it in the the sense of like covering up their human rights atrocities potentially, but also I guess sports washing, yeah. as you said, can be used to as a proxy for progress and nation building. Uh, so help us uh, get our heads around sports washing and is it worth $220 billion? Well, it depends who you ask because this is not new at all and it's certainly not new for the World Cup. Mussolini did this in 1934 when he, he did not like football, uh, Mussolini, but he liked the idea that he could look good with football. So in 1934 for that World Cup, he printed tickets on the finest of paper, the best paper you've ever seen in your life. So the people had something to go and say to the rest of the world, isn't, it, isn't Italy a great place? Are you sure about that? A bit, bit much known. No, no, look at these tickets. I went to the World Cup. And they also, they paid people to go. So they paid for fans to go to this World Cup. And what did we see three days before the World Cup? What did we just find out? That they had been caught, Qatar, using, we think, expats or foreign workers to paint them as being fake fans for teams that were lining up. So they did Brazil, right? They did a video on TikTok on Brazil of all these Brazilian fans that had rocked up, you know, early. As it, okay, fine. And then they did one to say, okay, now look at all these English fans that have rocked up and are also having a parade. The problem that they had was they were, <laughs> they were using the same instruments. So they were the same. <laughs> and the last time I checked, Brazilian fans and English fans weren't in an <laughs> instrument exchange program. And the other, re the other reason they got caught is no one's going to ever believe that there are other English fans. They, they, everyone hates England. That's why they got caught. They had to pick the one country that basically everyone in the world hates and wants to lose at the World Cup. So any other people, they could have picked Iran and people would have been like, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. But England, forget it. And they also were paying. So the Dutch have been really critical and they still are. The coach is like, this is stupid. Why are we here? But we'll get to that later. So one of the first things Qatar did is they made an approach to Dutch influencers to go to Qatar and be paid and be paid to do positive posts about Qatar. So they go to who's criticizing them and they find a way to go, well, if they don't like us, this part of them do. So that sort of evens it out somehow. And the, the irony of that is, of course, you're flying influencers in to do stories about the World Cup. Influencers who will then be arrested for taking a photo in a bikini in public and therefore undoing all of your good work. Yeah, it, it is confusing. And, and I, I guess it's also confusing because for every Dutch influencer that you fly over, the world's media is turning their attention on Qatar. And we're speaking about it here on a, on a business podcast. If you didn't have the World Cup, the focus wouldn't be on all of the issues, but instead they're now got the world's attention on them and they're having to pay these influencers. It feels like they're not so much sports washing as sports spotlighting. And then you add to that, <laughs> the players themselves are revolting and you know Denmark is wearing a protest kit. Australia's uh, players released a critical video. Has this backfired? Uh, look, it depends. Once again, it depends on who you are and who you're answering to. So... One thing that we've got to make very, very clear at this point, and we will get to the, the results on the pitch in a moment, because that's where all these chickens are going to come home to roost. And I've got very strong conspiracy theories about these. But the other thing that's happened is a Qatar's attitude has changed. They have finished apologizing. So that has been a big, oh, you know, the World Cup's for everybody. It's this, it's that. And they just now, you know what? We paid for this. And youth can actually, excuse my language, youth can because the other day, right? Oh, the World Cup's for everyone. The World Cup's for everyone. You know, okay, well, it's for everyone except the following groups of people. 
And there was a Qatari former national player on German TV the other day who forgot the script. He was on TV and he was asked about the LGBTQ plus, you know, people who want to go and want to support it. And he just had it. And he called being gay a damage in the mind. And that was every now and again, it just drops a little. The perfect sports watch, whatever you want to call it. And yes, and two days ago, the Danish, of course, the Danish were filming and just blokes tried to stop them filming. No reason. And then they say, well, you don't need a permit. He goes, we've got one. It was like Ned Flanders, you know, when, when Homer starts the lynch mob in Springfield and there's no burning leaves without a permit. I got one too late. And by then his house is already on fire because they kicked the leaves. It was that exact moment. And so they just now, the rubber is hitting the road and you can feel them actually now going, why have we been, why are we apologizing? What, what are we doing? We pay for this shit. We, we got it through the, you know, the FIFA process, which I'd love to cover at some point, how they got this bid and why that and how that plays into where we are now and how that's going to play out on the pitch. Because this is not some people, oh, it's an outlier. It's a disgrace. You know, I've got a saying that I always like to use. How do you know something is not true? How? I saw it in a Netflix documentary, right? They are over as they are over a million when it comes to facts in documentaries. <laughs> Right, they're always opinion documentaries. They always have a Netflix always have a reason to suddenly come up with some documentary where they've made up half the quotes, or it's all basically all mostly bullshit. So they've got this FIFA one where they say they go back through the bidding process. Now this is true. When Qatar got the World Cup during that time, twenty-two of the twenty-two that voted, sixteen of those Exocoa members in FIFA, because it's only 22 people who decide it, have either been banned, accused or indicted for criminal corruptions, involved in FBI cases, or accused of ethical violations, but not convicted. Two of them were already off the voting panel because they'd been done in a newspaper sting trying to sell their votes. So as recently as 2020, the FBI is still coming after them. It is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, this is what the traitors on Channel 10 thought it was going to be. Just film FIFA. You want to you want to have a show called Traitors? Just film <laughs> the FIFA Exico. But it's not a shock. It was the logical extension of a process that they had designed. So when the former FIFA president, the demonic Swiss gnome, Joseph F. Blatter, he's now he's trying to blame Michel Platini. And he's saying it's all Platini's fault. He was the head of UEFA Europe at the time. He switched. I wanted it to be for America. Nothing to do with me, says the bloke that ran it for 30 years and whatever. We can get to that's a, a topic for another day. But I've got a little grab, which I want to play because the, the legend that is Tarek Panja, the journalist, uh, he was on Pod Save the World, which has done a good job recently. But follow T-A-R-I-Q-P-A-N-J-A and or put his name into search. The guy's a, a flat stick genius. And he literally is the only human being that willfully goes to all of FIFA's congresses as a journalist and sits there and listens to their bullshit. The man deserves a Nobel Prize just for that. So this is him talking about a dinner that took place in Paris where Michel Platini, who controls basically five votes on that panel, five out of 22, two blokes have been kicked out. Now it's five out of 20. We're looking good here. Let's get them. So, so this is him, Sarkozy, the president invites him over for dinner. Not a, you know, it's probably normally a swingers party, but he goes over there and he says, righto. And oh, hello. Have you, have you met my friend, the crown prince of Qatar? And have you, had, have you met this bloke who's part of this bid that they've got for the World Cup? It's just so weird that you two are both here, right? Now, just to give us an idea of the stakes that are, that are involved when it comes to the World Cup, this has to be put into context. This is what took place at the dinner, according to Tarek. Have a listen to the stakes 
that are being used for the World Cup. There was a dinner, famous dinner at the Elysee Palace, the home of the French president at the time, Nicolas Sarkozy. The other dinner was the then crown prince and current emir of Qatar, Sheikh Tamim, Michel Platini, another French great footballer, head of European football, Nicolas Sarkozy, and I believe the French sports minister was there. That dinner had huge implications for the world of football and for the 2022 World Cup. Here is why. Afterwards, Qatar places an order for French jets worth billions of dollars. And Platini has his head turned. Nicolas Sarkozy says, for France, the World Cup, your vote should go to Qatar. And Michel Platini, to his credit, is one of these few voters who at least tells everyone publicly who he voted for in that secret vote. He says he voted for Qatar, though he says he would have done it anyway. Mm, I'm not so sure about that. Right. Okay. Okay. So, and this is why it's upsetting. Australia bought French submarines that they didn't even have to build. We didn't get any votes. We welcomed Manu into our hearts. We didn't get any votes. I guess, I guess my, my question just ke- keeps going back to why. So, you know, Qatar are spending billions on French jets. You know, the, the bidding process, they co-bid with Russia, didn't they? Russia bid for 2018, Qatar bid for 2022. And there was a lot going on there. Like, it is a lot of effort. It is a lot of alleged corruption. And then it's uh, it's a lot of... Oh, no, I don't go with corruption. So that's the other thing. I'm tired of that being said. This is the logical extension of a process that had already been started. So Australia paid $40 million or $25 million, I can't remember how much it was, of public money to bid for this same World Cup. Let's not forget that. The big issue that England had when they lost to Qatar was that they didn't do the right bribes. So that I spoke to a former executive of the Australian bid who told me something incredible. She said they were at Sydney Airport when they had the FIFA Congress here. And one of the big bosses who's in this Netflix documentary, but he's not a bad guy because he's in a T-shirt. So he's cool now. So they, they're at the airport with all of the Aussies, the bid, right? And this bloke walks past. They go, hey, how you going? And he goes, hey, I just want to tell you, your presentation was amazing. Everybody loved it. And they're like, really? Thank you so much. And he goes, yeah, it's a shame you can't have it. They go, sorry, sorry, what? He goes, well, you know, you've got a Sydney airport's got a, uh, a 2 a.m. curfew. And the, the FIFA members and the, the big wigs and all of the... Uh, uh, obviously, the uh, VIP, VIP, VIPs are on a different time zone, so they won't be able to fly in and out. But yeah, anyway, well done. And they walk off. And everyone ignores it. And this woman, this uh, Benita is her name, she goes, sorry, did anyone else hear that? And they're like, what? No, that bloke just told us that there's no way we're getting this bid because of the, even though so we should stop spending money. And they all just look at her and they go, what are you talking about? We can, we can still win. And of course, we got one vote. And even then, that was a stretch. So... It's very important to understand that this is not corruption. It is corruption, but corrupt implies an honest system being corrupted. This has never been an honest system being corrupted, and it never will be. And that is why I don't. I hate it when people bang on about corruption. Well, let's say billions of dollars of jets, uh, a lot of bribes, <laughs> alleged <laughs> bribes, and then hundreds of billions of dollars worth of spending on infrastructure. I saw a post on Instagram today that was equating Qatar to Fire Festival based on some of the accommodation and stuff like that. It, it feels like a lot for a 
moment where the whole world will be looking at Qatar, many with critical eyes. So how do you explain such an effort and such a spend from the Qataris? See, they're playing on levels that you and I don't understand. So the Jets, all of it, a short answer is don't know. Long answer is we'll find out, but it's going to take a while. So we actually don't know why they've, we, we, I can listen to Tim Cahill forever and not hear why they've done it. I can listen to the Emir forever and not hear why they've actually done it. We don't know why they've done it. It's not a Bond film. They don't stroke a cat and tell us at the one hour, 45 minute mark. We, we short answer don't know, but we know what they're telling us. But well, why would we believe that one? I don't believe anything else that's been said. So no one knows yet, but here's something I want to throw in the mix. Did you know that Saudi Arabia has a bid in for 2030? It doesn't doesn't surprise me. They just bought an English Premier League football team. Well, they bought Newcastle. And why do the other teams, well, I know we're, we're getting off topic, but why don't the other English teams like the fact that the, the Saudi Arabians have bought in? And now even the Americans, the Liverpool owners, are starting to sell out. Because what do they know that we don't? I'm sure plenty. But, yeah, but what in particular? <laughs> exactly. But they also know that these blokes, and they're all blokes, will not stop until it is, they get it, what it is that they think they want. And it's not javelin results. And it's not, isn't Qatar a nice place? They could already have that. They've got the airline that sponsors everything under the sun. They've got all of that already. So we're not going to know. And that's why I'm keen for the financial people of the world. That's the pages I need to read because that's where where you'll find out. Well, Ed, while we uh, wait and see, I want to turn to some of the other stakeholders involved in the World Cup, in particular, the companies that are sponsoring the sport. For then, a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to The Dive. Ed, before the break, we spoke about the business case for Qatar hosting the World Cup and spending $220 billion. But we want to turn to the companies that sponsor the World Cup. Football in general has some big companies that seem to sponsor everything. And, you know, like Nike and Adidas top the list. But there's a number. There's the Maccas of the world, the Coke of the world. They seem to always throw money at sport and football in particular. How have they responded to everything that's going on in Qatar and especially, you know, the recent player revolts? Great question. Here is the point we find ourselves. FIFA, for the first time, is facing a future where it's not guaranteed that their revenue increases. 95% of FIFA's revenue comes from the World Cup. In the four-year cycle, it generates 95% of their revenue. They basically live on tuna and beans for three years, and they have to put on all these tournaments they don't want to put on in order to pretend that they care about football so that they can get to this point. So the Russia one in Russia generated $4.8 billion. Now, I don't know about you, and, and I know that that's enough for a one-bedroom apartment in Sydney, but I think FIFA even finds it hard to live on $4.8 billion for four years. Since 1950, the revenue has just gone up and up and up. And here is one of the great ironies of this, Set Blatter is a huge part of how that happened. He was came from marketing. He was instrumental 
in helping them get to this point where they are now. But just released, and this was a, you know, there's little pills in the food. You guys are experts at this, digging through the information to find the bit that means something. I read this the other day. Shares in ITV fell recently, the British broadcasting, you know, the, the large uh, broadcasting entity, on a lukewarm revenue boost from airing the World Cup. That is a phrase no one would ever have thought that, that they would be the uttering. This has been a rocket to the moon since the dawn of sponsorship in the World Cup with Coca-Cola and Adidas. And so that's why this World Cup is so important to the sponsors, but also it honestly feels as though they're saying to them, just get through this one. The next one's in America, the next one's in Mexico, the next one's in Canada, and that is where they're trying to get to. This Netflix documentary, I believe, was so that they can put a line under FIFA so that they can come back with the new FIFA bid on some of the rights to have games for the next one and they can say we were part of putting that old awful mob to bed look how bad they were thank goodness we've got this new crew in charge and they're doing a great job oh, by the way we've actually got some games that's weird so that to me seems as though that's exactly what's going on here now one in particular qatar committed a fifa rights atrocity which is much more serious than a human rights atrocity two days before the tournament my homeboy Tarek Panja puts on the internet a video of the official beer sponsor, Budweiser, who pay $112 million to sponsor the World Cup, their beer tent being moved because it was too visible. By Qatari authorities. Yes. That, my friend, is the biggest crime that they have in, in this world. That, that, and I know that sounds ridiculous, yeah. but no, in this yeah, world... I that is the biggest crime that Qatar has committed. That is when Qatar said, you know what? We still run this joint and we've had your, we have had enough of you telling us what to do. And that is the moment where FIFA goes, okay, great, no problem. Let's get the f out of here and never speak of this joint again. And also then they released the prices, 12 pounds for a beer, 12 pounds for a beer. And then they announced they're gonna have drunk tanks where if you're seen to be intoxicated, or if they think you're intoxicated, they're gonna throw you in these drunk tanks. The only thing is, A, that'll be the funnest place to be for the World Cup, and B, it might be the only way to get any accommodation if you can just have a sleep on the ground. So they're, <laughs> they're gonna be the place to be. <laughs> Palacio! Palacio! Wow, Alec, that was a great interview, but I've gotta say, for someone like me who doesn't know a whole lot about football, I'm going to be spending a lot of time on Google following up some of those threads. I've got to ask you though, any closing thoughts? You've had a couple of days since that interview. Anything else that you want to add that you're thinking about the World Cup? Sasha, you're not alone in terms of Googling. I like to think I know a little bit about football and I was certainly Googling a lot afterwards. Learned a lot. Uh, I think it's probably important to note that we've seen some developments since this interview that in, in some ways reinforce what Ed was saying. So we closed the interview there talking about the companies and the sponsors and Ed mentioned Budweiser as a key sponsor and how the Qataris were moving a tent. Well, since then, one of FIFA's major sponsors is a lot more annoyed because the Qataris have banned alcohol sales at the ground. I think Budweiser, I think the number is they paid $112 million to sponsor this World Cup. So you'd be pretty annoyed that you can no longer sell your product in the stadium at the game you're sponsoring. Yeah, recoup some of the cost of that sponsorship deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing we should note is in the interview with Ed, we were speaking about the Australian team and the Denmark team 
protesting. We have seen protests from other teams. We saw the English football team invite migrant workers to their training. And I believe the American football team flew a rainbow flag in support of um, LGBTI rights. And so we are seeing players, I guess, recognize their agency in this situation and, and step up. Whether that has any effect in Qatar, we shall see. I would hazard a guess at not, but um, it's good to see the players at least standing up for what they believe in. Really interesting story. I certainly, after having it not on my radar at all, it seems to be everywhere. So obviously stay tuned to the dive. We've got our headline series as there's updates over the next two weeks. We will be delivering them to you. And we should say the interview with Ed went on for about another 15, 20 minutes. Uh, We wanted to keep this tight, although we are waffling on now, but we released the full interview over on uh, Equity Mates Investing Podcast. You can go and listen to it there. It's out now. If you want to hear what Ed thinks is going to happen on the pitch and maybe get a little bit conspiratorial uh, while he's at it. So uh, go and listen to that if you want to hear more from Ed Cavalier. Yeah, get your tinfoil hats on. Well, let's leave it there for today, Alec. If you enjoyed this episode, then please tell a friend about it. Tell one of your football friends. It really is the best way for our podcast to grow. And if you've just joined us for the first time, then welcome. Go check out our back catalogue, lots to explore. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at the Dive Business News, all one word. You can contact us by email, thedive at equitymates.com and subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today, Alec. Thanks, Sasha. Until next time. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.